0: Hello, I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. Now, joining us from Hong Kong today is my guest, James Chen, the global activist and philanthropist. Prolific, committed, and impact-driven, James has used his wealth to address issues that matter. He has created Clearly, which is a campaign to help the 2.2 billion people around the world living with vision challenges. And this has also seen him work in a highly successful and innovative public-private collaboration to deliver vision to the nation of Rwanda. It's all part of a smart giving approach, which he calls catalytic philanthropy. And alongside this is a commitment to other issues such as childhood literacy. And in his quieter moments, he's even found times to back a major new Netflix documentary about the story of the Paralympic Games. James, welcome to Changemakers. Let's get started with this gold medal story. Rising Phoenix is, I believe, the name of the documentary. Tell us more
1: well uh it's a it's a as, as you mentioned uh, rising phoenix is a is a story about the paralympics it's an amazing fascinating story that talks about the beginnings and how it was founded by a professor ludwig Goodman. Uh, and uh, and it's uh, the the challenges not only amongst the athletes which is unbelievably Stimulating, but also uh, about uh, the the movement and the challenges that the Paralympics games have had. You know, for example, in uh, 2016, they nearly did not have the Paralympic games, which is absolutely shocking, but uh, but very very lucky. So so a lot of uh, 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 drama involved and and just a absolutely wonderful storyline.
0: Mm. I mean, the the producer, Greg Nugent, um, spoke recently about the struggle to get funding for a story about disability. Why did you pick up the baton in terms of actually getting stuck in and actually backing that with your own funds?
1: Well, that I guess uh, you know I've known Greg. Uh, he's been absolutely amazing guy. Him and his team—they've helped me on my Clearly campaign, so I really know them and trust their judgment. That's number one. Uh, but uh, you know, this is uh, exactly a, a story you know about uh, disabilities. And frankly, when Greg first approached me about this, I had to say I scratched my head a little bit. But once he 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 told me about the history and and all the. You know the, the the backstory of of the Paralympics. Uh, you know I was captivated, and I just really felt this had to be a story that had to be told. And uh, and so therefore, uh, uh, it's something that uh, I was very very proud and and honoured actually to have a chance to participate in this in the making of this movie in a very small way.
0: Now I, I noted that your top tip for life was that luck happens to those who are prepared. How lucky is the world right now do you think James?
1: well i mean you know it's a it's the glass is half empty or half full right and i think that um uh, you know this uh, this pandemic is terrible and 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 very challenging disruptive to most people uh but uh it's uh, it's also perhaps a wake up call that you know i think the period before this there's been a lot of um you know Brouhaha! I'm not sure what's the right term, but uh, but it's something that uh, really, uh, uh, perhaps you know, to kind of the, the great Gatsby-ish going on, and in uh, in a way, this is a kind of a, a bit of maybe nature's way of saying you know, uh, time to have a reality check, and uh, I think uh, it's it really uh, hopefully it becomes a grounding experience, and and actually going back to the movie, this is a. You know, amongst all these uh, challenges, you know, to have a movie like this, uh, this story about the Paralympians and Paralympics, it really, really brings out the that you know, however difficult we think life life is, you know, the, there are challenges, but there's also so many opportunities, and that's really what comes through in in that story of the Paralympics.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's right. I mean, I mean interesting that you you mentioned the the Great Gatsby because you, the 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 family that has inspired you most has been the rockefeller family which of course you know found its found its heyday in the roaring 20s of of the last century in terms of that kind of high impact philanthropy that multi-generational family give give us a sense of how that works in in your own um in your own situation um you're part of a of a multi-family um i guess story as well
1: well yeah it's a i'm a third uh, generation uh member of, of of a business family uh the, the the rockefellers of course is now i think in their seventh or eighth generation <laughs> and uh, and you know for 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 the chinese i think there's a there's a very deep sense of family right and so this idea of uh of 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 generations and being able to pass down you know uh, uh typically you know it's, it's we think about financial wealth but more importantly i think it's about you know values about uh, uh how to be live person to uh, live life and being a person that lives to its fullest and and a responsible member of society and that's where i very very much uh, uh uh find that the the rockefeller family through the generations you know and through their philanthropy has done some amazing incredible work and uh in those uh those uh, times where I've had the uh, pleasure and, and, and honor of meeting some of the family members, you know, their their sense of humility uh, uh, really comes through. And it's from a sense of saying, you know, even though they are born to privilege, you know, uh, they understand their responsibilities to society and to, to their families. And, and that's something that resonates very well with myself and I think for the Chinese culture.
0: I certainly took out of their story and your story the commitment to focus. It's not just about writing checks, it's about actually getting into the lane of the cause that you want to make a difference to. Now, you you call that catalytic philanthropy in terms of the I guess the risk-taking approach of the entrepreneur meets the you know the I guess the societal change that that um, that charities and others want want to achieve. Unpack that a little bit for us in terms of what people can take out of that as an approach to life.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we in this world, you know, it's I think everyone would agree that we we face so many, so many challenges. Right. Uh, uh, And um, and there are no easy answers to this. Right. But the reality is there are people working on these issues right at the at, at the at the front line. And they are the ones who are most likely to understand hey what works and what doesn't work and what are some ideas to really you know change things right but typically how do they get the the funding to test these ideas right and and that's where i think there's a the 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 system is broken right there's not enough uh funding in these early, to try these early stage ideas, to see it if they actually work or, uh, or don't work. And if they do work, that's the opportunity to scale up. And that's it, where private uh, high net worth can really, really make a difference. We're unique, it's a superpower of, of the high net worth community to be able to take risk and back these uh, high risk ideas.
0: And, and, you, and you talked about, um, I, I read, privatizing failure and, and, and socializing success. Is, is that really what this is about?
1: Yes, indeed. You know, we have, as the high net worth philanthropic community, we have the opportunity to be able to take risks. And, you know, with risk, you know, comes failure and we can afford because it's our money, right, that we're dealing with, that we can afford to to, to take those risks and to accept the failures, which... Uh, uh, for example, governments and uh, uh, even corporates tend to have struggle with because the people who are making those decisions tend to be agents of the of the capital owners, i.e., taxpayers or shareholders. Right, so it's much more difficult for to them to make those decisions. Whereas for us, you know, if we if we see some something interesting uh, and we think it's a game changer, we can take a risk on that. And if it fails, it's our money. But if it succeeds. That's where, you know, you can sort you, of, we can then offer it to the world, to, to governments and corporates to help scale up. Right. And that's how the idea of socialized success.
0: So, so what, what's been a failure for you in in terms of things you've invested in?
1: <laughs> I, I think, you know, many it's, it you know, the way I put it is that, you know, we're on a, a big life journey and, and within these, this life journey, there are all these other journeys can, you can choose to go on. I've, you know, chosen to go on a, a journey around uh you know the access to vision correction and uh, and and in this you know there's been lots of um it's been 16 going on 17 years now that i've been working on this issue and uh, and so uh, you can imagine along the way you know it's not been smooth uh, sailing but there's been lots of uh uh, uh, challenges, for example, I don't uh, 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 trying to convince, for example, the the World Bank to help us fund the projects early on, and realizing that no, they they, this is not the way the world works, you know, and uh, oftentimes this is learning the hard way how things don't work, and yet you know being continue to be committed to this idea of hey, why can't it work better? Why can't we do this? And and uh, until somebody gives me a good answer to that question or i figure out for myself right then i'm not willing to stop and and that's the perseverance of saying you know if there's a there seems to me there is a good reason that something can be done in this case of that i've been working on uh with uh, with uh, access to vision correction it's been uh, something that uh that's taken this long journey but I, lots of uh, failures and successes along the way and the journey is not over
0: the journey is not over let's so say vision is what you would describe as a domain expertise, isn't it? I suppose for you, something that you you know about, you care about, an area you can really focus on. Tell us a little bit about the key pillars of that. Clearly, vision for a nation in Rwanda. These, I guess, are central investments where you've delivered real impact.
1: Yes, so, so when I started uh, on this journey, All I knew was that I needed glasses uh, since I was a teenager, and so uh, uh, this is something that is very personal to me, right? And then realizing because I've grown up in uh, in, in, uh, Africa and uh, spent a lot of my uh, career in developing Asia, I could also see that very few people... Uh, had glasses, and it always struck me: is it because they don't need glasses, or they don't have access? Now I know, of course, that it's the issue is that they don't have access to glasses. So, out of the two point two billion uh, people in the world today uh, suffering from or struggling with uh, poor vision, ninety percent uh, can have can have their vision corrected by a simple pair of glasses. And uh, and so this is the journey I've been going on. You know, what is what are those barriers that keep people from 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 getting access to classes
0: and presumably there's a, there's a major economic benefit not just a social one in terms of why governments and nations around the world need to address this as as a priority matter
1: that's how why we uh, we started the clearly campaign is that uh, uh, we realized that it can this issue can be solved but it takes political will. And so the the Clearly campaign uh, uh, has been advocating with policymakers and government leaders as to uh, that this issue is solvable and the impact on the sustainable development goals that they've committed to, i.e. productivity increases, you know, good jobs, uh, uh, better educational outcomes, uh, uh, even uh, gender equality. These all can will not be achieved if the division of two point two billion people are not first corrected, so we we, we termed this uh, this issue as a, a an SDg accelerator
0: mm. i mean i 'm reading um, a piece of your research here that, that, that from two thousand and eighteen that found a pair of glasses could increase increase the productivity um, of Indian tea pickers by up to thirty one point six percent i mean it 's a sort of um, I, I suppose that that 's also a big part of it now, just going back there, you mentioned. That this is something that obviously you wear glasses, I wear glasses. Your personal story here, I believe, starts with a uh, with a driving test, was it not? In terms of your your realization of just how important twenty twenty vision was.
1: That's right. I I did not realize I had poor vision until I uh, this was I was in uh, studying in upstate New York in high school, and uh, I went you know very excited to have a chance to go take a driving test, and the first thing they do is give you an eye test. And I failed that, and uh, so wow! So I went to you know the the the, uh, the local optical shop, got my eyes checked, and and uh, and got glasses, and and it's like wow, okay, so this is what I've been missing, and, and that's why it, this makes it such a a personal mission for me is that you know for better part of sixteen years, you know I'd been going around life, you know, not aware, and this is something that most people who are struggling with poor vision. They don't know what they're not seeing,
0: but but I also think that it's, it's interesting when when you observe um, philanthropists, there are those that will write a, a wide array of checks for a range of good causes, and I suppose that and that's fine. But there are also those that are very driven people with a sense of a goal and a sense of achievement that they want to deliver. In terms of how you find your purpose, how you find your issue, is there a learnable lesson for others in the way that you found yours? In terms of, well, actually, if I was to sit down now and vision board the things I want to make it a difference to, what's the first question you should ask yourself?
1: Well, I think the first thing is: is there an issue that you see? There's something that's not that you feel is not right, that you feel that you can actually. Do something about it, or you know, or try to. You know, you we of course when you start on these journeys, we don't know whether we can make a difference, right? But it, but my uh, uh, hypothesis and and it's worked for me is that is that uh, if you stick with it, that's this idea of do- developing domain expertise, and when you actually you know try taking risks, you know, backing uh, uh, unconventional ideas and seeing how they work or they fail. Then it informs and builds that domain expertise, and then over time, you know, uh, that's how you find that you step back and say, wait a minute. I'm actually now the domain expert in this particular uh, uh, topic. Mm.
0: I mean, the other the other area where you've you've achieved real distinction is is in addressing the issue of childhood literacy through the Chen Yat-sen Family Foundation, your family foundation, which I suppose is also. The baton being passed from your father Robert to you in terms of a family issue that that, that sort of means something. Tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yes, yeah, so you know, my late father uh, was really truly the uh, the inspiration for me on my on my uh, philanthropic journey. Uh, what he did in his lifetime was to uh, uh, go back to a community where he grew up in, where he himself experienced famine as a child. And when he made it in in business and retired, he went back there and tried to ensure that, uh, uh, you know, particularly in in, in education that that children would have the best available education. uh, And he supported that. Uh, And uh, so for him, it wasn't just about giving the money. It was actually about uh, uh, understanding the issue and, and really putting personal time and effort to improve a lot of those uh, of, of those children. And uh, that was very inspiring. And so when uh, the time came for me, the, the baton to be passed to me, it really informed the way that I approach giving. It's not about just writing checks. A, it is about putting your time and effort uh, into understanding the needs and the issues. And perhaps I've taken this kind of forward uh, a bit more by by, you know, this idea of of taking high risks and and backing unconventional ideas to see if they work, and if they do, is how do you then go about scaling it? Right.
0: I mean, I wonder. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned family at the beginning of of, of the interview, and I'm I'm sort of thinking that you know I'll, 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 the story of global philanthropy today is you know Bill and Melinda Gates, people that have made wealth very quickly in a sim in a single generation. Do, do you think that a family that has, I guess, prospered over the generations that may well take a view where time has a slightly different um, dimension to them. Does that provide you with a different perspective, a, a different approach, do you think, to philanthropy than perhaps somebody that has gone fast, broken things quickly, and then has money to make a difference very, very speedily?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, yeah. In fact, uh, to me, you know, I mean, I. Uh, hugely admired Bill Gates, uh, but he's probably more an anomaly than the norm. Uh, the norm would I think be more like uh, uh, the Rockefeller family where the first generation makes the wealth and it's kind of the the second, third and, and fourth generation onwards that actually uh, 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 made the impact on philanthropy right And uh, this is something that is is uh, should be learned by most families that, that this is a multi-generational, undertaking that uh and where you know you have uh, uh, the the wealth creator and there may be others in the following generation who are wealth creators but there's opportunities for other family members who are passionate about philanthropy to be able to take these high risk uh, uh, approach to philanthropy
0: and and do you do you have a sense of responsibility in terms of how you prepare future generations after yourself to when you when you hand on that baton i guess
1: Yes, I think that that also informs uh, the the work that myself and my wife do that, you know, because we really try to uh, pass on to the kids this idea that, uh, you know, we, we not only uh, should benefit, you know, uh, have all the goodies from from the wealth, but we have a responsibility to uh, society, right? And, and so, you know, our by being able to, uh, uh, for them to see the kind of work that we do and how challenging and, and difficult, but also, you know, uh, uh, meaningful it is that I hope that the, those lessons, you know, as the Americans say, you know, what we're trying to do is not just talk the talk, but we're walking
0: the walk. Right? Walking the walk now. Another area of, of where you walk is, um, I can't finish this interview without walking you into food, because everybody I speak to about James Chen will say to me, Talk to him about food. You're an investor in restaurants in New York, in Hong Kong. Give us a, a, just a, a very brief overview of what you're investing in and why.
1: Yeah, I, it's something that you know. I I, I enjoy good food, and uh, it's just something that I've been curious about from early age. I started cooking when I was very young myself, and uh, so throughout my life, uh, and and particularly the career, I've had the opportunity to to invest in restaurants, and uh, they were disasters all along. Particularly, you know, the first. Series of um, restaurants. I all of them went completely.
0: What, what what sort of restaurants were they? Were they were they kind of fine dining? Were they w- well, New
1: England country cooking. To uh, 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 at one point we were, uh, I I was a, a shareholder partner in a one of the most successful nightclubs in Hong Kong that also had a, a very nice uh, cafe involved. You know, uh, uh, but all of these uh, ventures failed, and it, you know, but yet you know because of my. Uh, interest and passion—you know, very personal to me. You know, I, I continue to try to, you know, learn. What did I do wrong? You know, what? Why did we fail that time? Why did we fail this time? You know, and ultimately, I was very lucky that uh, uh, I, I ran into an absolutely brilliant lady, uh, Bonnie Goxon, uh, and uh, uh, together we opened a, a restaurant called Seba in Hong Kong, which has been, which has paid for all of my previous failures it's it's a it's it's very unique it's it's her recipes you know she's a she's a very a global citizen i guess like myself and she's just got uh, incredible incredibly good taste it's not just about the food it's about the ambiance and the whole experience including the music right and so um she's done such an amazing job and and you know, how the how it is once you think you've got the the, the formula down, then you kind of say, oh, now that I've got one success, maybe I can replicate it. And that's how I then uh, uh, had the opportunity to work with uh, David Chang of Momofuku. And so I was one of the his first two outside investors in, in the Momofuku uh, group of restaurants.
0: Mm. I mean, it, it strikes me that, I mean, your life is very much this kind of global travel. I mean, you're investing in things, making a difference in things. I guess the thing that I've always observed in you, James, is a, is a kind of a positivity and an optimism that you can make a difference. In these sort of like, you know, very dark days for the world where we are struggling with so many issues, how, how does the light of the optimist stay bright?
1: Well, I think uh, uh, history has shown that, you know, uh, this too shall pass, right? And uh, and so we have to look beyond the present challenges, you know, uh, you know, when the times were great, you know, that's not a time to go crazy, right? Uh, and when things at times are bad, that's not a time to lose faith. And so I think that uh, being, you know, I guess I perhaps I'm a bit of a contrarian. But uh, I'm, I am I, feel I'm very much a person who says, the glass is half full, uh, and uh, really look to, you know, the so many amazing opportunities uh, uh, out in the world today. And and uh, in fact, my biggest challenge probably is is, is to stop myself from, uh, from getting involved with more things. My, my wife always says to me, she says, uh, you know, well, you have all these big ideas. You know, you do the 1% inspiration. I have to do the 99% perspiration. So <laughs> cut it out, you know, deliver on some of these things before you take on something else.
0: Love it. I, mean, I have to say, so many of our guests see themselves through the lens of the contrarian. And it is. And, it, and I think that does speak to the entrepreneurial attitude. It speaks to the innovative mindset. Um, and, and it's so I think it's so much about what change makers really are. But that's unfortunately all all we have time for uh, for this episode. And my thanks to, to James Chen um, very much as you've heard it, a passionate philanthropist with an appetite for action and and getting things done. I think we've heard a story about focus. Focus on what and where you can make the difference. Be the catalyst. Be the change. Stay in lane. Join me for the next Changemakers.